This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. It's Philip Mock here with the Retirement Detective Podcast. Today, we're looking into fixed income. Fixed income is an important part of a lot of diversified portfolios out there. And we're going to dive into what exactly is fixed income and begin the first of a multi-part series on fixed income, what the different types are, how they work functionally, and the role that they typically play in an investment portfolio. Fixed income is an investment type that is really common in diversified portfolios. In a nutshell, fixed income is an interest-bearing instrument, very similar to a CD, and in fact, I consider a CD a form of fixed income. With fixed income, you're buying an instrument, and in return, you're getting an interest income stream, and at the conclusion of that time period that you have it, you're getting the principal back. So effectively, fixed income is a form of lending, but in a securitized fashion. Just like a bank will lend money to a consumer to buy a home or buy a vehicle, and they, in return, expect to get back interest plus the original amount borrowed, bonds work the same way, but it's typically the other direction, where a company is the borrower and the consumer is the lender. And since it's a securitized form, fixed income is a way that you, me, anybody else that's an investor can go out and purchase fixed income for their portfolio in a fairly marketable fashion, just like you would purchase a particular stock or mutual fund. They're out there, they're available. Fixed income comes in many different forms. You have uh, CDs, like I said, are a form of fixed income. Corporate bonds are fixed income instruments that are issued by a corporation. They're effectively borrowing money from the market. Investors purchase these, the corporation pays interest, and typically at the conclusion of that time period, you get the principal back. Municipalities do this from states to counties to cities to even specific departments within a city or county like the sewer department or a particular electric entity or a hospital, a public hospital might issue a bond. Transit systems, for instance, also. Really any type of entity that wants to borrow money but do it from the markets instead of from a bank, that's effectively the heart of what fixed income is and where it comes from. Near where you live, you may have heard about a bond issue from your local school district, and maybe they're going to use the bond issue to purchase school buses. So the way that that would functionally work is the school system would say, we need more money for school buses. We need it right now. We don't want to borrow it from a bank, so we're going to issue a bond. They would go to a vote, and you know some municipalities, maybe the school board or school commission does that, and then it's followed by a vote 
of the public or, you know, it just depends on each place. But let's say that the bond issue passes and they go out to the markets, a company will come in and do what's called underwriting, which is where an, an investment banking firm will come in and do a financial assessment of that entity and do all the paperwork necessary to go to the public and say, this school district is borrowing money. We are issuing bonds. These are the features that they will have. They'll pay such and such in interest. Those are the different time periods that are available. You can buy a one year, a five year, a 10 year, whatever. And it will also include financial information about the entity. If it's a municipality, you might even get information about the locale, like the population, the growth rate of the population, the demographics of the area. So you can make an informed decision on whether or not this is an instrument you want to buy. If we're talking about a corporate bond, the same underwriting occurs, but it just looks a little different. You're, you're getting information financially about the company, about their operations, what they do, their historical profitability, what they intend to use the money for, et cetera. And after all this takes place, they go out to the market and people purchase these bonds and can put them in your port, in their portfolio. In return, they get interest. So just like you get interest at a bank, you can get interest doing this. You can buy these individually straight up just by you know going out into the market, finding a particular bond you want to buy or even a particular CD that you want to buy and figure out how much you want to purchase and you can purchase it. It's a security. You can also buy these in the form of a fund, either a, a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund where a professional portfolio manager has gone in and taken the pool of money that he or she manages and they've gone out and purchased a diversified basket of hundreds or maybe even thousands of bonds and you can buy a sliver of that. You can have partial ownership of that basket of securities. You're really uh, ending up with a, a similar outcome where you're, you're getting an interest income stream and that's typically the reason that I typically see these in portfolios is people want to add the element of getting some interest income. Bonds are not all the same in what that interest income looks like. For instance, a lot of municipal bonds, though not all, but a lot of municipal bonds have some important tax features and they may be tax exempt at a state level. They may be federally and state tax exempt. Overall, each bond has unique characteristics that need to be analyzed to determine whether or not it's a good fit for your portfolio. The other reason that people typically invest in fixed income is that it has different characteristics in relation to other parts of your portfolio. So for instance, if you have a portfolio with stocks or, or equity instruments and bonds, bonds typically are a little less volatile they don't move in value up and down quite as much. They act as a good offset to the volatility that you see in fixed income. It's not the case certainly every time, but stocks and bonds are, are generally not 100% correlated, which is a statistical term and basically means that if you were to look at the day-to-day -day or month-to-month -month movements of one or the other, they don't often move the same direction all the time or by the same amount. To take a, a brief tangent, if two things are perfectly correlated, they move up at the same time, they move down at the same time, and the magnitude of that movement is very similar or exactly the same. With bonds, you don't 
have that in relation to stocks typically. Many portfolios will add fixed income to have an offset to the volatility that you typically see in stocks. An investor may say, you know, I really like having stocks in my portfolio, but they do make my account value go up and down. I may add some fixed income here because if I do that, then then maybe on the days that stocks go up, my fixed income might go down. And so then in total, my portfolio just doesn't move as much. Or similarly, if stocks are going down, my fixed income may go up and offset some of that loss. But for whatever reason, investors decide to add fixed income to their portfolio. Fixed income typically shares one characteristic, whether it's CDs or treasuries or corporate bonds or municipal bonds, and that, that is that they pay interest. That is the, the number one reason that people buy fixed income is they want the interest income stream. So if you're buying an individual bond, you know, individual municipal bond or corporate bond or treasury, you'll know exactly what that interest rate is. There are fixed income funds. So with those, they own a basket of instruments that have a known rate. And so you as the investor in the fund get a blended weighted average, more or less, of of the different rates inside that fund. So since things are being bought and sold all the time, when you buy a fund, you're not exactly getting a, a set rate that exists into perpetuity. You're getting a blended average of the rates and you're getting a rate that does move somewhat. So as the portfolio manager of the fund maybe is able to purchase instruments that have a higher rate, the rate on to you as a holder of that fund may increase and and vice versa if the portfolio manager has to purchase bonds with a lower rate. A lot of fixed income also has some other features that make it stand out. Typically, fixed income is in a what they call a bullet fashion, which is where the principal is paid at maturity. So this is similar to like a CD, for instance, where you go to the bank, you say, I want to purchase a CD, and let's say you buy a $100,000 CD. You give the bank $100,000, and let's say it's a two-year maturity. They say, we'll pay you interest at this rate for two years, and at the end of the two years, you get your principal back. A lot of corporate and municipal bonds work the same way, where you're getting that principal back at the end. There are some other types where that's not quite the same, like an amortizing bond or a sinking fund bond, but those are really beyond the scope of of today's discussion. A lot of bonds have some provisions that uh, also add to their uniqueness. So some bonds are either callable or puttable, which is an option. So it's an option of the issuer if it's a callable bond. So generally a, a callable bond is an option that allows the issuer to redeem the bond before its maturity date. So the way that this would look in practice is a borrower purchases the bond and let's say it's a five-year bond and and maybe it becomes callable beginning after three years. So they own the bond for the first three years, they're collecting their interest and they're expecting to get that maturity amount or I'm sorry, the principal amount back at maturity here in several years. But beginning in year three, it's callable. So what this means is that the issuer may say, hmm, rates in the market have changed such that they would rather pay the bond off early rather than pay it off all the way at the end of the maturity state. So if it's callable beginning after three years, 
the corporation may say, hey, uh, rates have changed in the market, and in this case, it's probably that rates went down. So effectively, the company or municipality wants to refinance to lower their interest rate, and they'll say, we're going to call these bonds back, which means we're, we're calling back the note, and we're gonna pay you back your principal early. So when you're purchasing a callable bond, you'd be aware of it, it's, uh, and you're doing your research, you would become aware that it's callable, and you would not be able to hold it for the full maturity period because from the moment it's called, it's effectively an early maturity, it's, it's concluded. A puttable bond is the opposite. A bondholder owns the option on a puttable bond, and they have the option to sell back the bond to the issuer before the maturity date, typically at a price that's set in advance. So this protects bondholders from unfavorable conditions where they decide that they want to refinance. And as an investor, you'd want to refinance if rates in the market are higher. So you'd go out and say, well, geez, I'm making 3% on my bond over here and in the market they're paying 6%. So hmm, my bond's puttable and on that certain date at that certain price, you could do the math and decide if it made sense for you to sell the bond back to the bond issuer and then go out in the market and take the money that you received back, your principal, and you may go out and buy a bond with a, with a higher interest rate. Even though fixed income is typically less volatile than the stock market, fixed income is not free from the risk of loss. It is not free from volatility. But what makes it risky and what makes it volatile is a little bit different. So let's talk about the volatility first. In a nutshell, fixed income's valuations move up and down due to three factors. First, changes in interest rates. As the market rates around the bond go up or down, that impacts the valuation of the bond that you own. So let's pretend you have a bond that pays 3% interest, and the market also pays 3% interest. There's probably not much price movement due to interest rates on your bond. If you own a 3% interest rate bond and market rates move to 7%, well, now your bond is perhaps less valuable because why would an investor want to purchase your bond that only pays 3% when bonds in the market pay a much higher rate? And vice versa, if you have a bond that pays 3%, but maybe rates in the market fall to 1%, all of a sudden your bond seems a lot more valuable because it's paying a much better interest rate than what you find in the market. So interest rates are one key area that cause price fluctuations in fixed income. Credit quality is another area. The riskier a entity is, whether it's a corporation or a municipality, investors wanna be paid for the risk of lending money to them. So the riskier a corporation is or the riskier a municipality is, the higher the interest rate and the less risky they are, that lowers the interest rate. So as a company that's already had a bond issued, if their credit rating improves, then your bond may become priced differently because that entity's credit profile has changed, it's improved. If the credit profile of the company or entity deteriorates, then you may find that your bond is less valuable because now people want 
more compensation for the risk they're taking on. The third area that causes changes in price fluctuations with bonds is the maturity length. So in general, the longer the time period is that the bond exists until its maturity date, the more interest it pays. That's not always the case, but that's typically the case. So in summary, the three key movements in fixed income from the market are the market rates. So bonds will become less valuable if market rates go up and more valuable if market rates go down. Credit quality in general, when the credit quality of the issuer deteriorates, that makes existing bonds less valuable and maturity. So longer time period bonds typically pay more interest than short time period bonds. This episode kicks off a multi-part series where we're going to dive into different features of bonds, talk about their roles in portfolios, how to value fixed income. So I look forward to picking up this series with you in our next episode, and we'll be diving into more later. I look forward to seeing you next time. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. Philip Mock is an owner of 1522 Financial LLC. 1522 Financial LLC is a registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in the state of Oklahoma. Registration of an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of 1522 Financial LLC. 1522 Financial LLC is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. 1522 Financial LLC does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. 1522 Financial LLC shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer. Any reference to cases or case files is purely for entertainment purposes only.